0: So we are in our last week of Beautiful Journey, and the theme will continue to move forward throughout the course of the year. Monthly, we will switch up our sermon series. Um, Starting next week, we are going to be in the book of Haggai. Uh, Today's uh, title for the message is The Mission is the Message. The Mission is the Message. You know, as we tie into going through this text, and you guys can open your Bibles to John chapter 4, verse 31 to 42. Dave will have it up there. We'll get there in just a moment. But I'm glad I'm not a farmer. Because they have to know exactly what they are doing in order to reap a harvest. So they have to know what they are sowing into. And we're going to see a couple of these words, sow, reap, harvest, in the passage that we're going to read. Back in 2018, this was after my first year at Puget Sound Foursquare, and we had gone through just a wee bit of transition. The current youth pastors that were there during the same time that I got hired on, had decided that they wanted to move back to California, which was totally understandable. They were about to have a baby, and uh, they just wanted to be closer to family. And I remember particularly Pastor Lance coming up to me and asked me, hey, would you consider doing youth ministry one more time? Uh, If you guys, uh, just recollection of just my timeline and kind of how I got to Puget Sound Foursquare in the first place, I was supposed to only be there for a year. And then I was supposed to take off in a church plant. Had I only been there a year, I would not have met someone like Cody, right? Because he came in a little bit later. And honest to goodness, I don't know if any of us would have been here, right? Because after a year uh, going off and planting And one thing that I realize is you hear this all the time. God is a God of perfect timing. But I consider the fact that looking back, man, number one, of course, you don't do ministry expecting there to be any type of relational um, or there's you don't do ministry expecting that you're going to be like rewarded with like this big thing. Right. Right. you do it because there's actual relational equity. You know a person's story. You know they get to know more about you. And then um, in the community aspect, you guys run a race together knowing that at the end of the day, Jesus is king. This is the thing that brings us together. Um, it's funny because, uh, man, we we hardly ever get together. And we all agree on the same thing. There's always different, like, whether it be me, whether it be somebody else, there's always a controversial opinion, right? We have a lot of opinionated people within our church community, which is a great thing. It's necessary because it brings a solid dynamic. But the beautiful thing behind the church community is, regardless of our varying opinions, we can all agree on one thing that Jesus is King, that he is Lord in our lives and that we're grateful to do this together. Right. And so, uh, as I thought about it and I reflected, man, what a precious thing that was to be able to remain at a place for years to come so that there is something that I was potentially sowing into. So, uh, flash forward early 2020 before COVID happened and everything. I remember, I recall a conversation with Pastor Lance, whether it was on the way to Israel or whether it was a little bit before. Um, man, for youth ministry, there was a lot of things going really well. Growing, good relationship with parents, like just a general understanding like uh, of where I was coming from, kind of the two-and-a-half-year plan that we had set aside. And I remember Pastor Lance asking me because I felt like there was still a lot more to do. But he knew in the back of his mind, he's like, John, you're going to eventually plant a church. Why do you continue to have these ideas? Why do you continue to strive for something you're not going to see the fruit of? And my simple response was, well, it doesn't matter because there's going to be fruit regardless. And this is the basic premise of us in life. We sow because we believe that there is going to be something to reap, right? The basic um, premise in our lives or, or, or a line that we constantly hear time and time again is to do better in order to be better, right? How many of us, if we are normal functioning human beings, worry a little bit about our finances, I, that's all of us, right? That's all. We are always in a place where, oh, man, we need to put an acorn into the acorn nest. We need to learn how to save. And we have this general understanding that what we eventually will sow will be able to reap. This is why it's at, at our age, we are constantly pushed savings accounts, CDs, investments, all these other things, right? Look, I worked at the bank. I'm going to go off a of small tangent. I worked at the bank for a little bit. If you work at the bank, you realize that the saving account interest rates are criminal, right? Like, there's no purpose for those. Like, you're getting, what, maybe a two-cent return, three-cent return off of whatever, right, product that you may have monthly. Like, it's very, very, very minimal. But um, how many times are we processed or how many times are we told – um, in our lives every single day that we need to save, 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 right? For what? The future. And that's not a bad thing. Of course, yeah, I'm going to tell you guys the same thing. Save, 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 right? Get set up for the future. Do do whatever you need to do for wellness, right? But what what essentially are we sowing a seed into? And do we know the premise of all those things? And we're going to be talking about, again, like I said, sowing, reaping, harvest, and ultimately understanding that as we go before Jesus, in our relationship with him, we don't do expecting for him to love us greater. He just loves us unconditionally. He loves us for who we are. And guess what? Because he loves us despite our sin, shame, and failure. I don't know about you guys, but for me, that makes me want to be better. Just knowing that I have a God that sent his son Jesus to see the worst parts of me. And because he knows that, he sees that, and he loves me through that, he redeems me in that. And this was what just ignites the flame. Uh, I should also say that this might be one of the short sermons that I always constantly lead people on with, but maybe not. Anyways, here we go. Um, John chapter 4, verse 31 to 42. Let me just take a moment to pray. Jesus, we are grateful for this time, Lord. Lord, I'm thankful for every single person that's here, God, that's wanting to hear the word, Lord, to to be transformed by the word, to be transformed by the gospel. Lord, may it not fall on, um, Lord, may it not fall lightly, but God, will we take into consideration everything that's being said. We love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John chapter 4, 31 to 42. We're going to go through this first portion. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Remember, they were sent before to go get Jesus' food. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And imagining if the disciples in that particular situation, after they were sent on this side quest, right, to have this be fulfilled by somebody else, would be a little bit weenie, Right. So before we get into this next passage of scripture, I want to just list off the seven laws of harvest, right? This is not like something that I conjured up. You guys can Google these things. You guys can read about these things. And uh, I'm not going to get too uh, deep into the neck of the woods on this. Um, I am just going to list it off, have it up on the screen for you guys to read. And then if you guys want to talk a little bit more about it, you guys can, we can do that as well. So we reap only what has been sown. We reap the same in kind as we sow. We reap in a different season than we sow. We reap more than we sow. We reap in proportion to what we sow. We reap the full harvest of the good only if we preserve. The evil comes to harvest on its own. And we can't do anything about last year's harvest, but we can about this year's. So continuing on in the passage, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So what is our mission in life? What is our mission in life? A lot of us, we can have singular missions. We can have missions that we believe that God has sent us upon. But for the vast majority, a lot of us, we don't really understand the mission that God has placed us into. Um, I will simply say it as this. Our mission is to respond like Jesus responded, is to do the will of him who has sent me. To do the will of him who sent me. When we ask the question out loud, what's our mission in life? Um, it's not just to simply state, I'm a, I am just want to be a good moral human being. Or I want to live this life with a sense of purpose that is worldly. When we are talking about our mission in life and we see scripture and we identify with scripture... <clears throat> we see how Jesus responds in talking about how his mission was to do the will of the Father. And this is the beginning of conversations as he's entering into ministry with his disciples, and he's beginning to open up a spectrum, right? Because this already, and what we're talking about, this journey, this process that he was on, and as he was talking to the Samaritan woman, was opening up, Borders, boundaries, culture, whatever it may be. It was opening up everything. And this is how Jesus responds because he identifies talking about first water and he talks about eating and food as well. And so Jesus serves the sense of purpose that as he's speaking about this, this is what should be fueling your life. Sure, you may have a singular mission. On this earth, you may feel called and led to a specific country or to a specific place or to a specific ministry. I would even say that, hey, like our mission right now is our own backyard. It's denial church. But ultimately, what Jesus is saying is, hey, like in this passage, I should be the fuel. I should be the fuel for your mission. As I was observing this uh, passage as well, when we're talking about um, sowing and reaping, uh, what has become problematic in the church, because uh, how oftentimes do we get into this place where we say, okay, I'm only going to do this if I get this, right? And I'm not talking about just church, right? I'm talking about in life in general. I'm going to only do this if I get this. I'm only going to do that if I get this. Right? Because constantly we look for a great reward in return of what we do. This is just natural human instinct. And I and rightfully so, right? Like there are constant times where in our lives we are processing the do in order to reap the reward. And going back to spending it to the church, what has become problematic, and maybe the reason why we refuse to be on mission together is because there's a few of these things that we see and we identify. So what has become problematic in the church is lack of vision, right? A lack of vision in regards to where we are going and what we see as Christians, as believers, as congregants. It's not just the leaders that have vision, but it's called, it's determined by each and every one of us. We are supposed to have a vision in our lives. That's why in this general statement of what our mission is, our mission is to do the will of him who sent thee. Maybe that can be the vision of your life. Another thing that's become problematic in the church is Church is gatekeeping. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced it. I saw it a lot as I was growing older, man. Like, there are tons and tons of people within the Christian circle that are meant for greatness, that are meant to do extraordinary things. And I firmly believe that. If we ever want to have a sense of revival or a sense of continuing to be and do for the likeness and the goodness of the kingdom of God, we need to actually, we actually need to push our people instead of gatekeeping our people. So many times we, um, I'm going to, back on what I was going to previously say you know like I often joke that as like a church community that we have people that really run run the church and it's a joke semi-serious like but here's the beautiful part about that is as individuals who are called and raised and led, I don't want to say that any of our people are tied simply to the formality of the church. I want to be able to push people and to have people get sent and to be planted in respective communities, maybe where they feel called. But so many times you see it in the politics, you see it in the... Leadership scheme where man, people are gate kept, right? Another thing that becomes problematic in the church is jealousy and envy. I don't think I need to really break that down, but you see this oftentimes where there's a sense of jealousy amongst people that maybe be a little bit more intimate. In their relationship with Jesus, rather than being jealous, why don't you actually grow in your own faith? And then the last one is competitiveness with no bounds. I believe in the race that we're called to, that we are to be competitive, but competitive with certain bounds where it's not, hey, I'm going to push you until the point that you're exhausted, like texting you every single day. Hey, like, are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you making sure that you spend X amount of time worshiping, et cetera, et cetera? But competitiveness to the point where, hey, like, as I continue to run this race, I want to bring you along with me. These are the signs of a healthy church. These are the signs that we are sowing a seed well. But what has become problematic in the church isn't just within the church, but it's within life. It's the structure of life. These same things. But Jesus blows the door open and articulates to the disciples that what they think they're getting themselves into is more simple than they realize. So as the disciples are calculating all these things, because remember, in the midst of the the, the disciples, you have people that are fishermen. You have people that are tax collectors. These guys understand the terminology that is being used, right? As Jesus is addressing not just the disciples, but the people in his teachings, these guys, right? We're not talking about people that are in um, our current day and age doing tech Um, right, working at fast food restaurants. These guys are generally what? Most of them are farmers. They understand um, the contingencies that are necessary in order to live. And so as Jesus is addressing the disciples, um, man, as he's sharing this, he's just blowing the door wide open. Why? Because Jesus says in this text, he practically says this, lean on me. Lean on me. Look at this last passage where he says, Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. The laboring that Jesus is talking about is going to be the work that he's going to do on the cross for their sin, for their shame. And guess what? This text goes to each and every one of us, where Jesus says, "Lean on me, you think that you need to do a lot of work you don't have to because I've already done the work, and the harvest is ripe i I, for, I don't know about you um, but for me there's such a, there's such a strong sense of faithfulness for the product that is denial Nile church week in and week out. I, I don't want to dismiss and just say, oh yeah, like, thanks for showing up. I believe that there is something prime that is happening and you, you being here matters. But it doesn't matter more than what Jesus is talking about in talking about the great work that he has already done, commissioned and finished, right? So yes, your attendance here is so important and it matters to the greatest extent. But is it everything? It's not. Why? Because Jesus is everything and he's already portrayed the work that is finished. And so let's continue forward. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, and this is the key verse, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this Is indeed the savior of the world. The mission is the message. What we toil on in life about, what we strive for, for what we want to invest in. Look, if we confess Jesus as Lord and Savior in our lives, we do the following. And we are marked by this. And we see this in the entirety of John chapter 4 1 through 9. We get met, we get asked. We get taught, we get confronted, we get the truth, we get convicted, we get commissioned, we get the message, and we become on mission. And We become on mission. Look, as we get ready to take communion, this verse that the Samaritans responded to, to the woman, is so telling. It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. You can listen to a thousand messages. And yes, your heart can be transformed by the things that you simply hear. You can listen to a thousand worship songs and still have your heart be hardened. You can pray a thousand hours and yet lack the intimacy that is required in your faith. What am I getting to? In your own relationship with Christ, it is not your sibling's relationship. It is not your parent's relationship. Your faith is not a product of the church that you had attended. Your faith, your belonging, your confession is your we believe because of what we've seen and what we've heard. The Samaritans were, they, they heard these things and there was a sense of an radical encounter, right? Because they're, I'm sure they were like, what is this Samaritan woman who is kind of the outcast of the city and town? What is she doing here, going about, what is she saying? And as she's confessing and she's talking about everything that she was approached with, confronted by, and released of, the Samaritans drew her in, heard what had happened, and wanted to see it for themselves. It is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Are you deeply challenged in your relationship with him? Can you take it upon yourselves? Do you believe, not because you're just hearing the word for now, but do you believe within your own heart? And do you know the Savior of the world? If you do, if you know, if you say yes, we're going to take communion. And we're going to partake together. And we're going to remember the blood that was shed and the body that was torn.